Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, and on today's episode, databases. More specifically, controlling your databases. We're discussing the database control plane company, Several Nines, with CEA Vinay Husri. Several Nines is sponsoring today's discussion about sovereign databases as a service. And if you're thinking sovereign databases as a service, is that what are we talking about here? Like data sovereignty? Yeah, like data sovereignty, but there is more to the sovereign DBAS story than that, quite a bit more, and we're going to get into the details with Vinay. Vinay, welcome to the show. Since this is the first time many audience have heard of Several Nines, would you introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, tell us Several Nines, tell us about Several Nines from the uh, the 10,000 foot view. Yes. Hello, guys. Nice to be here. So Vinay Jusri, CEO of Several Nines, and um, we have been we have been around for about 11 years. And um, we are a database ops company, right? So we provide intelligent database orchestration for open source databases in any environment. Uh, it's in the cloud, on-prem, uh, co-location, uh, so, so you know, pretty wide. And uh, what we do is, you know, we help organizations to reliably scale their database ops without uh, worrying about uh, things like vendor ecosystem, environment locking, or even license stability, right? Because um, database, some of the open source database vendors have changed their licenses which meant they could not be offered as a service by the hyperscalers, for example, Elastic, Elasticsearch. Uh, and, um, you know, using our control plane, you know, allows companies to uh, to bypass that. You mentioned database ops a few times, and I'm curious, who are you, who do you have in mind uh, when you're saying database ops? Are you targeting someone who is uh, in just general operations, who's responsible for uptime? Are you targeting the database administrators that are down in, in the trenches running SQL from, from a command line? Like who's, who are you targeting several nines towards? So we target uh, ops teams who have to operate the databases, who have to make sure data is backed up, high availability is working, uh, you know, there is failover, database broken nodes are fixed automatically. Um, so any problems in production, make sure that you know something. You know there is a there is a plan B. Uh, so we we target these type of folks. Um, you know, for example, backups, uh, point time recovery, making sure that even when you take a backup, you actually test restore the backup to make sure you know the backup is restorable, right? And we do that automatically. So so a lot of these. Things to operate the database falls onto you know on-call teams, DevOps folks, and uh, they don't necessarily uh, have the sort of expertise uh, of all these different databases that they have to somehow manage. Um, so, so this is where we come in and uh, we help them do that. Sometimes it's also production databases, uh, sorry, production DBAs, I would say. Um, so it could be you know in large enterprises. It could be an Oracle DBA or a SQL Server DBA who, who might know a lot about databases, but not necessarily about how, for example, how Postgres works or MongoDB, you know, how do you do point-time recovery? Because uh, the DBA role is pretty specialized. And all these different things you have to do, these are all specialized tasks. And they all differ across versions, across database vendors. So for somebody to kind of be a DBA for everything is, 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 is kind of hard. Yeah, I, I kind of thought this was maybe uh, replacing or taking some of the DBA functions, but you're saying several nines can actually help DBAs as well. 
Correct, correct. So, so if a DBA is today is is doing manual failovers or you know uh, backing up the database and actually doing a manual verification of the restore to make sure it works. I mean, then yes, we are taking away that task, but that only mm-hmm. means that there is more time over for the DBA to to actually put time in more productive things, right? Because you you don't want to be spending your time on things that can be automated, right? You you know there are other things, there are other tasks that have higher value. For example, helping uh, you know application programmers write proper SQL or proper you know database queries. Making sure the data is clean, making sure that data is indexed, um, you know, working on architecture, working on capacity planning, and things like that, right? So if you spend your time doing very, uh, you know, basic things, then there's not much time to do the higher level things. Right. We call that undifferentiated heavy lifting. Right. right. It's, it's that doesn't make your application better, but it has to be there in case something goes wrong, something goes sideways. And I think uh, to your point, it's not just that you're helping the DBA out who might not be familiar with some of the newer database technologies that are arriving at their doorstep from the application teams. It may also just be that you have one DBA and 20 application teams, and you'd really like sort of the, the DevOps component of those application teams to take over some of the, the management and operations of that database that go beyond you know making a more efficient query. Correct, correct. And you know, the other thing is some some people might see this as, hey, this software is taking our work away, right? We shouldn't let that in here. <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you as a DBA or you know, if you're spending your time doing kind of lower level, lower value things and not really focusing on higher value activities that actually benefit the business, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's going to reflect on your salary. It's going to reflect on you know how much value you provide to the organization, because the more value you provide to the organization, you know the more worth you are, and uh, you know that reflects in in you know uh, more you know better results for the organization, and probably more salary to you as the DBA, right? So um, so so I think uh, you know uh, people sometimes see automation as as a threat, right? Uh, well. You know those those organizations who do not automate, they are bound not to. You know they they will be out out competed by mm-hmm. by their competitors who automate things and you know get things done and go faster. Yeah, automation has been a huge theme of uh, of day two cloud. You know for sure. So you're you're preaching to the choir, Vinay, for sure. Now, a point of clarification. Uh, we've said it, but I want to make make sure this is very clear to the audience. Several Nines is not a database. It is a control plane, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah. So, you know, when we started the company, that was in 2011. You know, that was when all these NoSQL databases started popping up, right? They, they you know, you just suddenly heard of these, uh, you know, I mean, there was MariaDB, there was uh, MongoDB, there was Redis, Elastic. I mean, there was a bunch of different databases, and we didn't want to do yet another database, right? What we what we thought was there are so many databases, but there are so few companies out there that actually are helping enterprises use them, adopt them, make sure you know data is backed up, uh, you know backups are automatically verified. You know you click on a button and you have a high availability configuration set up. Um, you know uh, failover is automatic, so that you don't have to have an on-call team being being you know pinged sometime in the middle of the night to log into systems and, and actually do you know failover and things like that right so 
So, so we decided on, on uh, building uh, the software that will help people run their databases. So we would automate uh, all these operations for them. So yes, it is a control plane that allows organization to, uh, you know, organizations to, to um, uh, you know, deploy and run, uh, you know, the most common databases out there. So uh, MySQL, MariaDB, Postgres, uh, MongoDB, Elastic, Redis. We also support SQL Server on Linux, uh, as we saw that uh, that's that's a new uh, um, up and coming um you know sort of database uh it's quite new right there are no many you know there's not many gui tools for sql server and there we saw a good opportunity to to provide value sure yeah one of my uh, good friends is a huge dba and he was embarrassingly excited about sql server on linux because uh, he's also a big Linux guy, and he always hated, you know, working in all the GUIs that Microsoft forced you into. Not that you had to use those, but I mean, that's the primary tool that other DBAs would use. And he was so pumped about, you know, using SQL on Linux. I just thought that was that was kind of funny to me. So, in terms of where Several Nines works into the database lifecycle management process, does it handle the full lifecycle of database servers from? creating the actual servers all the way through to managing the replication and the backup and then potentially eventually retiring the database? Like how, how does it fit into that whole larger life cycle? Right, right. So um, if you're running in the cloud, uh, hyperscalers, AWS, uh, Google Cloud, uh, Azure, then yes, we, we would actually uh, spin up the instances. We would install the database software on there. We would configure, if it's, a, if it's a distributed database with multiple nodes, we would actually install the software on all the nodes and you know connect them together and make sure they're working as one unit. And if you've specified it, we would add things like load balancers you know, so that we have nice single endpoints on top uh, so that um, applications, when they connect to the distributed database, they just connect to a nice, single endpoint, which is highly available, and they can fail over to another endpoint. Um, when it comes to uh, on-prem environments, uh, we uh, we would expect uh, our users to actually spin up the, you know, the VMs, or even if it's, you know, bare bone, uh, you know, to actually set up the, the infrastructure, and then they would feed the IP addresses into our products, and that's when we actually take over from there. We would connect to them, install the software, um, you know, install like a you know highly available replicated cluster. It could be you know across multiple data centers. We'd make sure there is monitoring, there is uh, you know alerts, uh, and and we have you know we'd provide trending information and graphs. We would do things like backups. If you want to have point time recovery, we would uh, uh, do you know rolling upgrades. Uh, so you know, queries, you know, slow queries. Uh, you know, advisors. There's a lot of things that we provide there. Uh, the idea is, you know, if if you're on-prem, you use something like Ansible or Chef to actually provision the the infrastructure layer, and then you you just sort of unleash our product on top of that, and we we do everything else from installation of the database to you know adding more nodes, removing nodes, or you know scrapping the the cluster if needed. Hmm. Now there's. Lots of databases of service offerings out there, including the big three uh, cloud providers. They got their own control planes. They got their own automation capabilities. Why? Why several nines? Right. So the reality today for the enterprise is companies are using. You know, enterprises typically have uh, you know multiple data centers right on their own, 
plus they are running at least two to three public clouds minimum, right? So it means their infrastructure is scattered across multiple environments, right? That's that's kind of the first fact. The other one is they use multiple databases, right? Mul multiple vendors, right? And the problem comes when suddenly they have databases across different environments. And yes, you can be using RDS or Aurora on AWS. You can be using, you know, Spanner, uh, you know, Google Cloud SQL on, uh, on you know, on Google, uh, maybe using some stuff on, on Azure. They all work differently. They're all different products. They have different interfaces to manage them, you know, different semantics. And then you have on-prem, right? What do you do then? What database as a service to use on-prem if you're using, uh, you know, RDS or Aurora, right? So the the reality is, you know, enterprises with hundreds or even thousands of databases, they don't want to end up with you know multiple types of, you know, products to manage, for example, MySQL data, right? And this is what happens if if you use the current offerings out there. So what we're saying is, um, you can you can use AWS, you can use uh, Google Cloud or Azure, or you know uh, barebone uh, on-prem, but um, what you can do is to decouple the software from these infrastructure environments, right? So, so, and this is where we come in, right? We allow enterprises to decouple their data layer from the underlying infrastructure, which means they can very easily migrate stuff between environments, and uh, you know they can. They have more flexibility and freedom to run wherever they want. There is less lock-in. I've heard the migration argument several times, and I'm not sure how often businesses are like, let's move everything to AWS, and now let's move it to Azure. But I think the more important point for me is I have a team that's responsible for operating all of this stuff. And if they have to use eight, uh, eight or nine different tools, depending on the database and the cloud provider they're using, then they're not going to be particularly good at any one of those providers. But what you're you're bringing up is why not have a consistent thing that you're using across all the cloud providers? And that's what several nines is providing, correct? Correct. It's a single pane of glass across um, uh, you know databases that are running across multiple cloud vendors or you know uh, on premises, and that's kind of important because yes, otherwise you have to find people who understand what happens with Aurora RDS. Uh, or if you're using Azure, you know what's happens there, and it's quite hard. I mean, it's not like this type of talent also is ready out there to be, to be, uh, uh, yeah, to be hired. Um, so, so it is, it is, it can be quite complex uh, when using different, uh, uh, you know, services. Because the other thing is, uh, even if it's MySQL under right, if if it's a MySQL API that allows you to talk to Aurora. Or if it's MySQL behind an RDS, they actually work differently, right? And actually, Aurora is not even MySQL in the bottom. It's something proprietary, right? It's just right. an interface, which means the semantics will be different. The behavior will be different, right? And then you have things like uh, nomenclature between services across different clouds. They use different availability models, mm -hmm. right? And it means you need more people if you're going to manage all that. Right. So, so what we do is instead single pane of glass, one way of managing everything uniformly, right, across different environments, which uh, which is also you know it makes it easier to manage. Right. And and the one thing I see in all the uh, multi cloud reports and surveys is that there is a massive skill shortage. That that's like the number one 
uh, concern or risk with the the cloud multi-cloud deployments is a lack of skills for, for people who can effectively function across all these different clouds. So making life a little bit easier for them, that, that sounds like a pretty good deal. So we, we've covered, I think, the database as a service component, but another big thing that jumps out in the several nines uh, materials that I read through is that you talk about sovereign DBAS. So what are you getting at there? What, what do you mean by saying it's a sovereign DBAS? Right. Well, sovereign DBAS, it's really about taking control of your database infrastructure, right? Now, in some countries like, uh, well, in some areas like, uh, you know, in, in Europe, right, where you have the GDPR, right, it's very important to be, you know, to have sovereignty over your data layer, right? Um, uh, because th there are there are a number of laws, uh, you know, privacy-oriented, uh, you know, laws, right? For example, the GDPR in California, you have the CCPA, which you know, uh, you have a second version coming up uh, next year, CPRA, right? I mean, you know, it what it means is companies who are collecting data or collecting data for analytics to improve their products, right? They people collect a lot of data about users what they are doing when they are doing you know what they are clicking on ip addresses and so on what browser right and uh, and from that perspective it can be a problem for example in europe if you're using a you know a us hyperscaler right in some cases if you're using pii if you if you're storing pii you're not allowed for example to you know to use a, a us hyperscaler now that's data sovereignty right no, wait a minute, Vinay. You mean I'm not allowed to use a U.S.-based data center because of GDR compliance? But if I moved it into a uh, a data center that's based in Europe, I'd be okay. Right. So, so that's localization, right? So, uh, for example, AWS has uh, data centers in Europe, right? Data centers even in Stockholm. But for example, all the governmental organizations, right? They, you know, there was a paper that came out about two years ago, uh, a white paper that was uh, the the product of a number of these, you know, governmental uh, organizations with lawyers and all that, where they actually found out that no, you cannot, you know, you cannot store uh, sensitive data on uh, on Amazon in Stockholm, right? And that's because the data is subject to U.S. law. That's the biggest problem, right? A you know, there's something called the U.S. Cloud Act, which effectively uh, gives uh, you know the U.S. government jurisdiction over any data from any cloud provider, right? That has operations in the U.S., right? And um, that cloud that 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 jurisdiction doesn't extend to data stored in the U.S. It's stored in any data center in the world that is operated by that cloud provider. Um, and if you take into account that you know the the hyperscalers, well, you know, uh, ninety about ninety-two percent. I think from the, uh, you know, there is a there is a number from from the World Economic Forum about ninety-two percent of uh, all Western data today sits on you know on a on a U.S. owned server, so to speak, U.S. based server, which means ninety-two percent of the world's you know of the of the Western world's data is under U.S. jurisdiction, and uh, you know how much of that data is you know personal information. I mean, I've heard figures about 20%, right? So there's a lot of information that's out there, right? That's actually under US jurisdiction. And the problem, if you look into the law, is that um, if you are an American citizen, you're protected uh, by the American laws, right? Uh, your, your privacy is protected, but not if you are not a, you know, a non-citizen. Mm -hmm. There are no laws that protect you, right? And this goes against the GDPR, right? That's kind of the issue 
that's kind of the uh, root of the problem. Uh, so, so when it comes to you know data sovereignty for a number of organizations, and if you're storing, you know, if you're a large global enterprise and you're storing data for any, you know, for a for a EU citizen, you fall under the GDPR, and that's going to be a big problem today, right? Um, and then you know, data sovereignty is is um, uh, I mean, sovereign DBAS is also about control of the data, you know, of the data layer, right? Which, which uh, you know, we previously spoken, you know, spoke about. Uh, it's it's about getting away from vendor lock-in, environmental lock-in, even key person dependency, right? Because what's happening is, you know, sometimes you you have great individuals that can automate things, uh, that can write scripts uh, to you know to manage a bunch of databases. And then that person leaves, and that leaves the organization into a bit of a problem, right? Because there is nobody else there to fix to fix the issues, right? Uh, so, so, so sovereignty is also about. It's not just about data sovereignty, right? But it's also about the control over your data layer. Uh, and uh, when if you want to have control, then you, you you need to understand what's going on, and you need to be able to change based on what's happening, right? And that's not going to happen if you are locked into a single vendor. You have no choice, pretty much. It's the sovereignty over the data layer that makes this interesting. Even if I don't have a data sovereignty problem, maybe I'm not having to deal with GDPR or whatever other laws. But uh, using a product like Several Nines, that means, again, you described it as this kind of a vendor agnosticism there. I can put my data uh, wherever I need it on whatever infrastructure I want and rely on several nines to be that abstraction layer that gives me that flexibility. Correct, correct. So, so you know, you as the enterprise, you can make the best decisions, you know, based on, you know, whether whether you want to move certain workloads to a, to a different cloud because of cost reasons. I mean, if you think about it, right, uh, the price of hardware has been going down you know, pretty fast over the last decade or so, right? So if you look at the prices that the cloud providers are having, they haven't followed, right? The prices haven't gone down, they've gone up. Whereas hardware prices have been going down significantly. Now, why would you pay a premium, for example, for storage? If you can buy your storage at a tenth of the price and you have applications that have petabytes, you know, that that require petabytes of storage, why would you pay AWS, you know, uh, 10x the price for that, right? Maybe such a workload you'd be better, you know, served moving it on prem and just doing it on prem or some other cloud which is specialized on that, like maybe Backblaze or something, right? Mm-hmm. So 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 there are many reasons why you might want to move uh between environments, right? Because um it could be for cost, right? It could be uh because you want to move to a certain region where you have users and you want to reduce latency, right? And your hyperscaler doesn't have uh, a local presence there, right? Now, are you implying that Several Nines has a cost planning component within the tool? Or was it that, you know, me as a, an aware ops person kind of knows what it's going to cost me to deploy something, you know, on-premises versus uh, in the cloud? Yeah, we, we would love to have something like this. I, you know, I think... Uh, you know, there's so much work that goes into actually automating stuff, and we are all fully focused on that. But, but eventually, yeah, we we would need to to even have uh, you know some some cost aspects. But I'm pretty sure if you look at the service there, you know, the number one one of the number one issues of the cloud for CIOs is cost. People are complaining about the cost, right? Uh, and it is high on the agenda. How do we lower the costs of the cloud? Because 
once you unleash the cloud, you know, to your employees and people click, and then, you know, suddenly you find instances that are orphaned, that are running there, burning money for months, right? <laughs> um, and that's 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 an issue. So so there is another category of software that actually helps you detect uh, these, you know, mm. uh, unused infrastructure or, you know, infrastructure that can be, that can be shut down. Uh, and that's something that, uh, you know, will only get bigger moving forward. Uh, yeah. but, but, you know, at least what we can provide is the ability for you to, to move and to control where your workloads are. But if you use services from a specific vendor, right, it's going to be much harder to move away because, because, you know, you might be able to move your data, but you know, what do you run it on? What software do you run it on? If that software is only available on one of the hyperscalers. Right, right. That does put a damper on things. And the, the cost question is is very interesting to me just because it's it's so difficult to calculate cost on any of the clouds because it's not just compute, not just storage, it's network traffic, it's storage IO. And that's going to fluctuate every month depending on how many workloads you have and whatnot. So that's, that is a tough nut to crack. And there's a ton of projects out there that are trying to do exactly that. So hopefully you can just kind of snap into one of those as part of your deployment process. Um, I'm curious about just how several nines works in terms of when I'm trying to develop an architecture or a design. Do you do I just plug in what my requirements are regarding resiliency? I want to be able to handle n you know plus two failures or you know have resiliency across these availability zones, or do I have to get uh, further down into the weeds depending on the cloud provider? Right. Well, uh, you know, typically um, we allow our users to deploy different types of uh, uh, HA architectures, right? So uh, uh, it can be um, a, it can be sort of multi-active systems, active standby systems. Um, so, and and then we also have like topology views where graphically you can you can see what you're deploying, you know, before before actually hitting deploy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, so you know, I think the company still has to do an architecture, you know, uh, task there to actually, you know, design their system and understand where do they want to place nodes. You know, uh, you know, what type of replication do they want? Do they want to have, for example, active-active between data centers? Do they want to have active standby between data centers? Do they want to have multiple data centers? Right? There are, you know, we we have a lot of you know blogs that talk about the different considerations and once. Once the enterprise has decided the architecture, they can actually very quickly get it done. You know, uh, using using uh, you know using our tools, but but they need to understand themselves. Like, okay, you know, we have uh, it's an application that you know we cannot allow any data loss. We have we have, for example, two regions that are closer to each other, right? And then we can do synchronous replication between them, uh, and then we can do async between. You know these two regions and a region which is you know which is far away with high latency. Maybe the link is not, not as reliable, right? Uh, there, there are so many variables uh, going into the design of of the data layer, and um, and and uh, you know the 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 idea is the the enterprise goes and checks, uh, you know, figures out, you know, the the actual requirements. How do they want to place the nodes? And then it's just a matter of clicking through our, you know, our, you know, basically our GUI, and then mm-hmm. getting that done. 
So when I am running several lines as my control plane, Vinay, we mentioned that there's several different open source databases that are supported that uh, that the product will control and deploy for me. You also mentioned single pane of glass and my cloud uh, databases of service offerings can fit into that single pane of glass as well. So just to clarify here, Will that deploy cloud DBAZs? Will several nines deploy cloud DBAZ uh, for me as well? What it will do is it will create a, a VPC, for example, and then it will deploy the databases on uh, on VMs, right? So, so you're you're basically uh, okay. using the IaaS layer of these hyperscalers because that's kind of the lowest common denominator across hyperscalers, so to speak, and then. We can go ahead and 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 deploy the same software on these environments as well as on-prem, exactly the same versions, the same builds, you know, uh, with the same configurations, etc. Mm, right. So if I'm looking that for that consistency, say I want to use the cloud uh, AWS for my development environments because it's cheap to spin up quick and try them out. But then I want to use my on-prem data center for the actual production deployments because I know it's steady state, fixed cost, etc. I will be using the exact same builds and everything across both of those uh, places where I'm running my workloads. Correct, correct. And you know, in in some cases, uh, we have customers that actually are running mixed workloads where they may be handling the bulk in 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 a data center, and then they are able to burst into the cloud, right? But but they maintain a minimal footprint that is con- constantly being uh, sort of synchronized with the main you know data center. And then, if they need, they can actually just increase capacity, you know, in the cloud. And and you know, through our software, you can actually manage these databases and make sure you know you can just click and add a node if you need to, and increase capacity. But uh, that's that's kind of the uh, you know one of the nice things that you can do. Uh, you can you can um, you know you can basically expand your data layer to 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 encompass multiple clouds and even your your own uh, you know data center. That's an interesting use case because I think typically if I'm using, you know, database as a service in one of the public cloud providers, my only option to replicate it is within that same provider to another region, let's say. But if I want to do the replication of that data layer outside of the cloud provider, I can't use their service. <laughs> I have to use something else. No, correct. And you know, I mean, this is this is the thing, right? I mean, if if you were if 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 you were a like a startup starting like around you know ten years ago, you would be probably cloud native. So so many of these you know many of the companies that started then they would have adapted to whatever is available to them mm-hmm. on one of the hyperscalers, right? But if you're an enterprise with a significant footprint running on prem, and then you're starting to you know dabble into the cloud, right? Uh, now uh, if you want to have a holistic view of all your infrastructure, it's going to be hard. Uh, if you start mixing, you know, cloud native services, uh, right, uh, that are only available in one cloud, mm-hmm. and and how it actually fits in a multi-cloud architecture. I mean, they they actually go against each other, right? It is convenient to use, uh, you know, the cloud service from 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 you know from a you know from a hyperscaler, but um, but then it means that workload will just will just stay there, right? Um, <laughs> That's, That's usually what it means, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Till it ends. So as a point of clarification, um, we're ta- we've been talking about Sovereign and the ability to run it yourself or you know, host it out. 
Several Nines itself, the control plane, is that running software as a service? Is that something I'm hosting in my own data center? Like, what are my options for running that control plane? Right. So we have both. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we have the product as software, and people can 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 you know can run the control plane inside their own data centers, or they can run it, you know, in their VPCs on Amazon, for example. Uh, or we, you know, we 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 also have the ability uh, to do SaaS. So you know, credit card sign up, and then you can actually spin spin your databases, uh, you know, in in a couple of data centers that are that are you know that are supported. From the SaaS environment, so it is both. But the you know the the most flexibility is for people to 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 actually take the software, run it you know on their own, and then and then actually you know spin wherever they want. That's 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 the most popular option. The, is several nines uh, useful to devs, or maybe a better way to ask the question is this: Finay, do uh, do can can you compare how ops folks would use several nines versus how how devs use it? Correct. Actually, we do our large enterprises. They have different teams, right? They have ops teams, and then they have dev teams. And typically, uh, you know, we we act. You know, our software uh, also has stuff like RBAC, right? We we have different functionalities based on the type of user, mm. and we can you know we can connect our our users to you know some kind of directory to know to know you know who you are, right? And uh, and give special privileges, and uh, and yes, um, you know, typically the um, you know the developers; they might be interested in understanding what are the slow queries there. You know, to sort of you know to analyze what is slow, why is it slow, and uh, maybe to see the trends, right? In terms of uh, you know how how the queries are running, how you know how how they're going. So we we have a number of dashboards, a number of graphs that shows your workload in different uh, you know uh, for different resource parameters. Uh, and and you know the one that's very popular is is uh, you know to understand what queries are slow and what can you improve right uh, because that's the fastest way of that's the that's the easiest way of making the database go faster right making sure there are there you know there is an index maybe you've written a query it's not hitting an index it's doing a full table scan and it's just taking ten x the time right so so that shows into slower slow application performance right so so we have these tools as well to you know to help the developers okay this is a this is a big deal this hang on a second because we've been talking about life cycle we've been talking about standing up and tearing down databases putting them in the right places all very infrastructure kind of focused things and monitoring a lot of times is is a, a different tool you oh, okay it's all built now you're gonna fire up i don't know uh, grafana and prometheus and uh, aim it at uh, absorbing all this telemetry and building your dashboards that way you're saying you've got database specific dashboards because you are able to monitor uh, deeply into what's going on in the database and see the activity and then percolate up statistics that developers care about for exactly the use case you're describing slow queries we've all faced it correct yeah and that's important you know i mean this is you know remember we we have a database background right we are ex mysqlers right we um so so we do understand you know people want to know what's being run there um, you know what's what resources are you know are being used. What queries you know are are slow, and you know what type of resources they are using. So so we do surface all that, and uh, you know. And the other thing is you know we surface things, and you, we have also a Slack interface, right to the to the data layer, which means it plugs into your DevOps teams communications channels, and it surfaces things from that database black box. 
right? So instead of actually having to go to some DBAs who have scripts and who are doing things, you know, you, you can actually be part of the same team and you can use some tools to actually get visibility into the data layer, right? Mm. Uh, thanks thanks to some of our connectors to, you know, for example, Slack. Uh, but, but um, uh, you know, the, 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 the DBA, well, typically the ops people, you know, they would be interested in being able to deploy HA architectures. They'd make sure that, you know, uh, uh, databases are backed up. You know, they are, the backups are compressed, encrypted, maybe pushed to the cloud with some kind of retention. And every now and then, you know, every every once a day or once a week that, you know, uh, backups are actually verified automatically, right? So that you you get, uh, you know, an alert if 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 there is a failed restore right so you know there's a problem there right um or you know things like upgrades so so there is that for the ops and then on the on the dev side yeah i mean it's it's understanding workload metrics and being able to to actually you know action these these issues well i'll argue that the uh, being able to surface slow queries and these kind of things getting into that sort of specificity is useful on the ops side as well so me coming from a networking background, uh, the database is slow. Is it the network? You know, I've had to face that question any number of times. Okay, well, let's find out. And you run a packet trace and you figure out the latency seems to come in between web server on the front end querying a database server on the back end. The query gets there. The database churns a long time. And then I can, ref I can go and say, look, between the database getting the query and returning an answer was... 514 milliseconds. Man, it's slow. You got to fix that thing. That took a long time. Well, what made it slow? I don't know. It's your query. You tell me what made it slow. Now there's a you know a, another layer there that you could you know, point people to and say, okay, let's let's dig into in this case the several nines interface and figure out why that query took 514 milliseconds to do its thing. Now, and, I, and actually, let me, if I may, um, we also have you know an advisor layer, right, which actually try to proactively understand what's going on and tell you that, hey, there's something wrong here. So for example, we actually fingerprint um, queries and we know like, for example, this query typically runs in, you know, uh, 10 milliseconds, right? And uh, so we actually check, you know, whether this query is still running 10 milliseconds because actually if the same query starts taking 500 milliseconds, mm. we're gonna send you an alert. So we'll tell you before your users complain and they call your customer support, right? Mm -hmm. So we keep track of actually, you know, uh, query, uh, you know, query latencies, and uh, if if there is an abnormal latency or certain queries that typically, you know, uh, tend to tend to uh, uh, be executed within a certain time, and uh, you know, and we 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 also keep track of, for example, if you did an upgrade, you know, you can log that as an event in the you know in the monitoring. So you can actually correlate. Oh, we did a schema update at that time, or we, you know, um, we didn't update to the database version. And after that event, we can actually correlate and see that, oh, uh, some queries are taking, you know, 50x, you know, the the amount of time to execute now. So 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 we do these kind of things. Uh, or for example, if we see, you know, some queries are doing full table scans instead of hitting an index, right? That's also like a hundred x uh, mm -hmm. performance uh, penalty, mm -hmm. right? And um, if you have no tools, then you know your your alerting is the customer. 
<laughs> I'm calling up angrily and then it has to filter through all the support channels before it actually gets to someone who can help fix the issue. That's uh it reminds me that the same guy I was talking about earlier who was real jazzed about SQL and Linux. Uh, one thing he used to do was just go into organizations for a consulting fee and look at their you know top 10 worst queries or most expensive queries and just try to get those down to a manageable level or something that was more efficient. And uh, yeah, if there's if there's a tool that will help you find those, uh, you don't have to hire him and pay him ridiculous rates. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I mean, uh, what we see is that the most, I mean, you know, very often people don't have tools to actually look into, you know, these, these type of performance, you know, statistics and to actually fix the queries, you know, tune the workloads. I mean, they go with the brute force, right? Just upgrade the hardware, more RAM, right? Just, just for hardware, the problem, right? Um, and, you know, for somebody like a hyperscaler who actually sells compute and storage, you know, that's just uh, music to their ears, right? right. Just yeah. uh, increase the <laughs> increase the instance size, uh, you know, no problem. Uh, you know, we just, just, it's just going to cost more. That's fine, right? Uh, there, there is no... Um, there, there, there would not be an ambition from the hyperscaler to actually, uh, you know, make sure your workload is trimmed and actually, you know, you're running efficiently, right? Um, and what, and we see that as well, right? When you, when you, you know, because we, we've, we are ourselves using, you know, cloud services, and uh, we see that, you know, instances can get big, right? Mm -hmm. Perhaps not more efficient, but you know, you, you just increase. It's so easy to increase the instance size, um, and the person doing that doesn't really see the bill, right? So there you go. Right, and, and as much capacity as you want, the cloud can provide. I saw a demo yesterday at Microsoft Ignite of a VM that had 768 cores available to it. So yeah, I guess if you throw that at a, a database query, you'll be good. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and that's the thing, you know, I mean, that's why we see that enterprises, that's one of the big problems, right? They cost, uh, I saw, you know, I saw a survey the other day where I think, 75 or 80 percent of CIOs they want to control or even reduce their cloud bills, mm -hmm. right? Because it's just getting out of control. And the thing is, you know, the large enterprises are really just getting started with with the cloud, right? Because that's going to increase. But you know, if if it's not done efficiently, you know, your your cost is going to be two, three, four x of what you could do it on prem. Right. Uh, last question that I have is automation and. Terraform, of course, because yeah. I always have to ask about Terraform. Uh, so if I want to bring several nines into my workflow process, how does it integrate with existing pipelines I might have out there? You know, my, my CD pipeline that's deploying out instances. How does several nines plug into that process? Right. So so we have a Terraform interface to our SaaS uh, platform, right? Uh, a, and then for the control plane, which is... Which is uh, you know, which is kind of pure software that you can run anywhere you want. Uh, we have a number of uh, libraries, uh, Python, Go, uh, you know, Java, you know, whatever you want, uh, that you can actually, you know, connect to it. Or even from your, you know, we have even playbooks, uh, you know, uh, Chef, you know, Puppet, uh, Ansible, Salt, right, that you can actually use to actually, uh, you know, control your databases. So we have a mixture, you know, we, you know, we have a CLI, um, but if you want to have, um, uh, a, ah, sorry, now I have the, I have a blackout. Uh, the tool you just mentioned. Terraform? 
yeah, sorry. Let me take that again. So if yeah. you have Terraform, um, then uh, uh, you can do it on our SaaS uh, platform, right? Uh, but then we have other interfaces that you can use uh, if you're using our control plane on-prem. Doesn't matter if you're using Java, Python, or you know whatever. Oh, Vinay, this has been a great conversation. I feel like I got a much better idea of what Several Nines is all about uh, at this point. Um, and, and I, I, I love the monitoring stuff, especially too. That's just that's just a great add, value add uh, on top of the uh, the control plane and the abstractions that you're that you're offering here. Uh, if you had some some takeaways for us, we talked about a lot of stuff here over the last forty five minutes or so. But if, if you could highlight some takeaways for the audience, what would those be? Right. So you know, I would say uh, you know, automation is is key. Um, and uh, yes, you can try to automate things with your puppet, with your chef, you know, with your Ansible. But you're pretty much writing, you know, stuff that we've spent ten years on. Right. Um, sometimes we hear people say, "Oh, yeah, yeah we've automated the database." You know. We spend two weeks and we just fully automate our database, right? Well, I, I wish we could hire you because we've we've just spent 10 years on this, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so so that's kind of a bummer. Uh so 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 I think you know, you know, there there is there is automation. Um we automate uh, you know from, from A to Z, so to speak, and we automate databases, right? Multiple uh, you know, database uh, you know, types across multiple environments on prem or you know public clouds so so you know single pane of glass across multiple environments um and uh, the idea is we give you know enterprises control over their data layer right and and we provide tools for devops teams to actually surface a lot of the you know a lot of that uh, information up to the team uh, and whether you're you're you know, coming to it from an ops perspective or from a dev perspective, right? Um, and then when it comes to, you know, enterprises that need some level of data sovereignty, especially when it comes to compliance, right? That's 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 also important. Where you know, we we give people the, you know, the ability to, um, uh, you know, to to sort of deploy their data in any data center in any cloud, and even to move them in between clouds if need to, right? Based on their their own re, uh, uh, unique requirements, right? And then when it comes to cost as well, right? Uh, sometimes workloads change. Workloads that are starting off might end up in a cloud, but then as they grow, as they scale and they grow steady, then maybe you want to you know, bring it back into an environment which is a bit more economic, right? And, and that's very easy to do with us, mm. so. So if people want to find out more about Several Nines and Sovereign DBaaS, uh, again, that notion of sovereignty over your data and your data layer, uh, where would you send them, Vinay? Uh, yeah, so severalnines.com, that's where you know, we, we, we have a bunch of you know, white papers, webinars. Uh, if, you know, for those who, who, uh, who are working with databases, probably they have been on, you know, on one of our blogs. We, we, we very often you know, blog about uh, all things, you know, MySQL, MariaDB, Postgres, MongoDB, uh, Elastic, Redis. So, you know, we we are kind of a known name there, I would say. But yeah, I mean, um, and the product is very easy to install, right? So um, that's one of the things we did when we started the company. It was me and my co-founder, no, no VC funding. Um, we couldn't afford expensive sales engineers to hold hand. So the product has to be easily installable by anybody and show value right away right and and this is still today the way we operate right people can download the product there is a freemium portion where they can use 
and you know the product for free and get a bunch of functionality for free and then we have other features that you know if they want they can they can actually sign up for and uh, and and get advanced capabilities Great stuff. Thank you very much. Again, if you're listening, cyberalliance.com slash sovereign hyphen DBAS is a a landing page you can visit and find out more information on all of this and their blog, cyberalliance.com slash blog. And they're on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Uh, Thanks to you, Vinay Jusri, Cyber9 CEO, for appearing on Day2Cloud and to Several9 for sponsoring today's episode. And if you're still listening, you're awesome. Virtual high fives to you for making it all the way to the end. And if you ping Several9 to evaluate their database control plane and sovereign database as a service, let them know that you heard about them on Day2Cloud, part of the Packet Pushers Network of fine technical podcasts, all designed for your professional career development. And if you have suggestions for future shows, Ned and I would love to hear them. Hit either of us up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow or fill out the request form on Day2Cloud.io. And if you like engineering-oriented shows like this one, and I know you do, visit PacketPushers.net slash subscribe. All of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. (laughs) 